everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by Muckoff and we've got a super generous discount code just for you. Muckoff have recently launched Punk Powder, their first ever plastic-free bike cleaner, which cuts down on packaging by 92% compared to their regular cleaner. It comes in small sachets that you add to lukewarm water to make one litre, and the cleaner itself is readily biodegradable and made from plant-based ingredients. It also means that we're not shipping water around the planet unnecessarily. You can head over to muckoff.com and grab yourself a nice aluminium bottle for life, which is perfect to mix and store the cleaner in, along with some compostable punk powder sachets, which come in a handy recycled cardboard sleeve that also folds into a funnel to help you pour the powder into the bottle. The packaging is also printed with vegetable-based inks. I've tried it, it's super easy to mix, it's ready to go in seconds and it works just as well as the already awesome Muckoff Nanotech bike cleaner. I've cleaned some pretty stubborn sheep poo off my bike with it, really easily and it left the bike looking great if you want to try punk powder or get your hands on any of the rest of the muck off product range then as a downtime listener you can get 20 percent off during the month of september using the code downtime20 at the checkout over on muck-off.com that's downtime all uppercase followed by the number 20 over on muckoff.com with winter rapidly approaching it's definitely time to stock up all the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com If you want to support the show, you can get your hands on our full range of merch over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. As always, it's top quality, organic, made in a factory using renewable energy and delivered with no single-use plastics. Head over now and check them out. All proceeds help to support and improve the show. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's probably going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe. So hit that now. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it drops. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe where there's links to all the major platforms there to help you. I'd also really love it if you can give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. All right, folks, we are rapidly approaching the end of the race season. And this week, the World Cup finale takes place with a doubleheader in Snowshoe, America. I'm joined by Coach of the Stars, Chris Kilmurray, to chat all about it. What's the track like and what are the keys to success? What sort of components are riders going to be playing about with to try and find an advantage? What unique challenges does the doubleheader bring and does a different pit location have any impact on the riders? We cover all that and plenty more in this final pre-race show of the year. So without further ado, here's Chris Kilmurray. Chris Kilmurray, welcome back. How's it going? Uh, Super, yeah, can't really complain. Went home for a couple of days after Lenzerheide. I uh, got on the airplane Thursday morning, super early, to come to the United States. And after a couple of phone calls to the Department of Homeland Security and a couple of hoops, uh, we sailed into the US of A without any snags. So, yeah, can't complain. Happy days. That's pretty good. Yeah, so let's just briefly touch on on Lenzerheide. How would you summarize it from your perspective? Uh, from my well, from my personal coaching perspective or just as uh, the race in general? Oh, Both. Um, it was, it was, yeah, it was a good week. It was a good race. Um, historically, people have complained a lot about how dull the Lenzerheide track is and how awkward and not particularly enjoyable it is to ride. But the changes they made 2019, they kept for 2021 and a couple of extra changes. And the weather was pretty, it was sunny, but it was real cold. So the dirt stayed nice and tacky for by and large where, where it could be tacky. And it was, so everyone just enjoyed the race. So I think that made work in terms of analysis and coaching easier it made the riders happier you know it's five-star accommodation pretty much in that neck of the woods so everyone's just 
in a good mood all week. It's pretty condensed in terms of maybe half the team stay in the same place. So you get a good little village vibe. So I think the whole the whole week is just set up to be good good racing because of the track, because the overalls are still to play for, because people want to win. Because there's so many top riders in all the categories now that have good support. So I think just by and large, it was a fantastic race, you know, fantastic race for the sport. Fantastic from, from my perspective, from a coaching perspective, regardless of the results, it was, it was enjoyable. Um, the only thing that let us down was the rebel TV camera work. I thought <laughs> it, <was laughs> it made, terrible. Me, made me feel the, sick the, in a few spots. That's for sure. Yeah. Like the, the production was okay, but the actual camera work panning and zooming to bikes and heads and floor and, I couldn't keep track. So yeah, for analysis afterwards, in terms of analyzing the live feed after, it was it was a nightmare. Yeah, but yeah, other than that, great week. It was the steep section they really seemed to struggle, and I don't know if it was because of the nature of the terrain, but yeah, it was so they had a, such a tight shot that you just couldn't. I couldn't really work out what was going on. It was a bit hard to watch. Yeah, I've not seen anyone from the from Rebel TV or the TV production company this week yet. But as soon as I see them, I'm going to ask what the whether they change camera people or whether it was local camera people or what the situation was. Just just yeah. out of interest, you know. Yeah, and you mentioned in the pre-show for that that um, you you believe the the last few turns, like the bottom part of the track, was kind of crucial, and it did turn out to be. Eh? It was a few riders came undone there for sure. Yeah, all, all was critical. Uh, that Amory lost the race casing the last jump over the big bridge. Uh, I think I think he would have won, not comfortably, but he would have won the race otherwise if he had a got backside, you know, on, set up on the right hand side, hooked that left turn nice and wide and did a great job in the last little chicane I think Amory would have won the race um, and if even just little details I don't know if anyone paid attention but Bruni tucked across the finish line so I mean like off the last drop the last 30 metres to the line or less Bruni tucked Loris pedaled and Bruni pulled in about a metre and a half because of the tuck so there's loads there's so many opportunities in that 28 seconds of track to win yeah. or lose it's crazy yeah it is crazy, yeah, because, I mean, effectively, the the hard work, in inverted commas, is kind of done by then, isn't it, really? You've done a lot of the, the dangerous technical stuff. It's, you know, it's a jump and a couple of fairly flat turns and a drop and a pedal or a coaster or a tuck, but it sounds like it's, it's deciding the race. Yeah, it's strange. I don't know if it's because riders tend to put in a similar level of effort to the challenging sections of track, and that's where everyone goes to analyse so information is abundant in, across the teams because there's so many people trackside um so i don't know if you know the, the playing field is potentially leveled in all the sections where, where coaches and staff go to analyze riders work hard riders stop to look at lines to watch other riders that sort of thing and then it's the little small bits and bobs that that actually potentially at least at the highest level when you talk about the top three women the top six men um the top two juniors or whatever in the categories um Maybe it's it's the smaller little details that win and lose the race, and and like, yeah, point one, point four, point six of a second is minuscule, you know. Yeah, it literally is no stone unturned, right? You can't even leave the easy sections of the track to to chance at all. Yeah, and it's like in Lenzerhead, especially the easy sections are challenging because they're not they're not grippy, they're not straightforward. Both of those bridge jumps, the real small one as you cross the last tarmac road, the big one that Amory cased, they're both of them are blind. And you're coming into that last jump that Amory tagged. Um, you're coming in there at seventy, somewhere between 74 and 78 kilometers an hour. And then you have to decide whether to brake check, whether to boost and nose it in, whether to try and scrub or squash. And it's crazy. You know, and, uh, Tane, for example, in sector five, beat the nearest lady by 1.2 seconds in that 25, 28 seconds of track. So just simple things done really well can separate. And I think Snowshoe has 
has a couple of sections which are very similar in terms of simple things can separate. Cool. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a sec. It was a great result for Tani. She uh, she must be feeling good after that. Like, yeah, enjoyed enjoyed putting the work in for sure all week long. She she loved it. Um, enjoyed being back on the World Cup schedule. Uh, just condensed, just smash out the, the three days back to back. You know, lay lay your cards out in qualies, and you know what you need to do for finals type thing. So she really enjoyed it. Um, the track is obviously a bit less demanding in general in terms of you know the physicality. So it was easier for her to manage the uh, the neck because you don't feel like your head's been ripped off. Um, and just yeah, good good honest racing it was cool. It's good to see you know. And yes. both her and Miriam kind of both arguably in terms of just experience alone. The number of race wins, the number of championships they've battled for and stuff, you know, Tani and Miriam should be slightly ahead. And this time out they were, you know. So it's good to see. Yeah, good racing all around. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about about Snowshoe. It's our only uh US round this year, and I guess puts the, the European riders in the position that, that a lot of the other riders from uh Australia, New Zealand and and the States are usually in, kinda dealing with jet lag, deciding on when to arrive and, and how to kind of acclimatize. And do, do you think it makes much of a difference? Like, does it put the, the Euro riders on the back foot and give the US riders a bit of an advantage or? No, I think, um, yet again, the European riders, uh, get lucky because we travel West from Lenzerheide to the snowshoe and you've got between five to six hours time difference. So flying West, with that time difference actually means that for the poor, at least even if you arrived the morning of practice, for some reason, that portion of the day when you're practicing, you're actually relatively awake, you know, so it might be 10 AM here local time, but that's actually only three or 4 PM in your body clock. So traveling West with, with that five to seven hour time difference, let's say is actually not super demanding in the body. Whereas traveling from Southern California, to Lenzerheide is an eight or nine hour time difference and it's all east so that's a far bigger challenge so every, everyone's arrived here pretty early you need probably if your sleep schedule your nutrition and all those things are pretty consistent and dialed in any anyway day to day then adapting to the new time zone should only take you know three days the rule of thumb is, is a day per a day per time zone but when you're going west like this and you've got nothing to do except look after yourself and eat well and enjoy life um you know, two, three days, you're kind of, you're getting there pretty quick, you know? Yeah. And riders seem to have been in, enjoying themselves. I've seen a few touristing shots on Instagram from people in Washington and uh, various places. What have you guys been up to? Uh, we, we, we made the decision. We, basically for now, uh, FMD racing are, are missing a couple of mechanics Um weren't allowed on the flight due to the details of a few different things, not being, not being correct. No, no fault of, of ours. So those guys are arriving tomorrow. Um, so we just made the decision to come straight up here, stop for some barbecue in Virginia, uh, saw some sights and sounds next day, kind of got some exercise done, went down to Walmart, found a nice coffee shop, did a bit of Walmart touring, um, just just took in the, the general sights and sounds of the locality, you know, even just driving from Snowshoe back down to the, the nearest town with the big supermarket, you know, some good coffee shops, there's lots to kind of see and do, it's just, it's just a different experience, everyone's... It's cool. Though. It's there's a little bit of cabin fever because you really just want to get going, especially you know, snowshoe's super small. It's got a real small purpose-built ski village, and other than that, it doesn't have much. But you know, some some of the guys saw, saw a black bear last night, so that's kind of the kind of things you get to see and do. You don't get in Europe, you know. So everyone's <laughs> just, I think everyone's just stoked, stoked to just go to Walmart, stoked to buy some camouflage or uh, go to find a local coffee spot that may or may not be good, and just just all the general little kind of 
touristy things you have time for, you know? Yeah, yeah. Not often that you get a chance, I guess, in the World Cup schedule. It's normally uh, kind of in, done and out. Yeah, you might get a single day. If it's a, a standard back-to-back European World Cup, you finish on a Saturday, track walks the next Wednesday. You recover, you travel, so you may have 24, 48 hours to do some stuff. But we go to the same venues all the time, so you just end up doing the same stuff. Whereas we've only been here once before. And, you know, for a lot of us, you know, the southern we're almost southern united states so culturally it's it has its different quirks so it's just really it's cool it's just good to see and people are super friendly and yeah everyone's everyone's just definitely the vast majority of people are making the most of it which is cool nice nice and it's um it's a double header but it's also a different format double header from the ones we had last season right i think there's an extra day in the in the schedule just talk us through a little bit about how the week works and how that changes things from a well, from your perspective as a coach, I guess, because it's it's pretty yeah. full on, right? It's exceptionally full on, especially because the track is going to be, you know, 70 or 80% the same. So just from a, a motivation and a, and a stoke perspective, which is, you know, directly related to your, your effort and your drive, um, it's, it's always a challenge. So once I finish up speaking to you, we're going to go straight for track walk Sunday, Sunday midday, local time. Uh, we're going to go see and, and we'll have some A and B sections for the two different tracks for for the two different races so we race wednesday for the first race and then the last race is on saturday so basically we our first race goes from sunday to wednesday and then after that we have a normal world cup schedule which is thursday through to saturday uh, the difference to last year is that maribor loser last year we had double headers but they were single events just downhill whereas here we have cross country so there's there's a few little logistical things that uci will have to you know have to kind of pull to make sure everything flows smoothly and we do have thursday practice so a totally normal thursday practice world cup day which is group a group b mixed practice and then time training so we still have that and the kind of rumor on the ground is that the uci said we put it in there instead of giving you a day off or a track walk day put it in there and it's totally up to the riders whether whether they ride or not because you know the track's going to be probably i'd say 80 percent the same 75 percent the same mm-hmm. um a couple of variations which might be key variations because entries and exits will look the same but they'll be different um, but you probably don't need a full day's practice. You know, you're not going to need eight runs again because you've all, you'll all, you'll have already done between nine to twelve runs on the first, yeah. you know, on the track from the first three days. So it's just a management thing from a, a mental perspective, from a, a confidence perspective, and definitely from a physical perspective. It's it's just management, and then you throw in little niggles or injuries on top of that from crashes or from from things people are managing and carrying. Good result, bad result of the first race how that affects your overall whether you're in in now all of a sudden in contention for the overall or you've totally lost it so there's so many factors so many variables and then the second race obviously is all points all uci points well world cup points uh, is for saturday finals there's no points for qualities so that's going to change things up as well a little bit you know you don't have to necessarily push in qualities if you don't want to Mm -hmm. so more of a challenge mentally to sort of remain fresh and positive than it is physically or yeah, they, they kind of come together, but like, similar to the World Champs Week where we have the extra days practice on the Saturday, it's definitely a, a psychological challenge to to know you're making the right decisions and to be happy and confident in your decisions in terms of how much you do or don't practice, how you've analysed things, how you've analysed the first race, what you're going to do to make the most of the time you have left to prep for the second race. So, yeah, it's pretty. it should be pretty individualised. At least from my perspective as a coach, it needs to be individualised. Some riders just literally don't care. You know, physically they have the capacities just to ride for six days. Um, a little bit of extra fatigue or whatever won't particularly affect their ability to execute come finals. Some other riders are, are f- more fragile, let's say, and not, not necessarily fragile in a negative sense, but just more fragile 
physically, emotionally, mentally, and they'll need things to be managed. Mm-hmm. You know, that's across the board, male or, male or females. So yeah, it's just experience knowing your riders, having a good team around you, having staff and people around you that you trust and just making making calls and sticking to them and then adapting the, the smaller details as needed. So yeah, it's going to be cool. It's good, it's good to have. Yeah. I guess it depends to an extent how the first race goes, right? If you feel like you performed well, then the second half of the week's probably easier to deal with. If you feel like you've not delivered where you want to deliver, then the puzzling and and the doubting starts to to take place, right? Yeah, that that'll totally depend on why the result in the first race didn't match up to to what you wanted or what the expectations were. So, if you just don't have the pace in a couple of sectors or overall, then there's some, you know, there could be some serious puzzling to do. If if you just execute poorly, then you kind of you know what you need to do, type of thing. And then then just riders like Lloyd Bruni, who you know last week in Lenzerheide was carrying, still carrying a, a pretty sore leg, pretty serious injury, and regardless, just just elevates and executes. So like a guy like Bruni, if he kind of like loser last year when Bruni and Manara were battling out, if you uh, if he has a bad race one, there's there's loads of guys and girls here that can just you know turn the page and just elevate come saturday for the second race so yeah i think we'd need to go through each rider individually and take the take it kind of <laughs> tooth toothpick style nitpick all the details and who may or may not do good or bad depending on the scenarios you know i think we I think we miss track walk if we do that <laughs> let's yeah, um, i might miss most of the week yeah. <laughs> let's talk a bit about the track then give us your thoughts on on uh on the track what are the kind of the style of the track, the key sections with the bits that you, you think are most important. Uh, it's relatively short and relatively flat or maybe, maybe relatively is not even a good word. It's flat and short compared to some of our tracks. I mean, distance wise, it's, it's a little bit longer than lenser Actually it's two kilometers, give or take how it was taped in 2019. This time around, it's going to be longer. I think ever so slightly longer, maybe a hundred or 150 meters longer just because it, it now starts, you can see the start line from, from the main road here in, in Snowshoe. So as you ride between the pits and accommodations either side, you can actually see the start line. And the start, currently, that big jump we had in 2019 is gone, doesn't exist. And it just goes straight into the woods and it just looks like the start of a regional downhill race, just single line or rut. So I think it's going to be a little bit longer than previous by 100 metres or maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. Um, so it's two kilometres long. It's kind of in the ballpark distance-wise of what we're used to. Uh, but basically it's it's flat it's flat for the majority and it's got one real steep pitch in the middle so it basically goes straight down the fall line uh, underneath the ski lift uh, pretty much 50 50 percent way down down the track everything above that is kind of flat semi bike park terrain with some rocks but nothing super gnarly um execution of like little details is what's important up there in terms of where you put your wheels how you carry your speed not dragging brakes or braking when you don't need to um, and then once you finish this steep pitch, uh, that's when the real race starts. Almost in my opinion, you, you know, finish the steep pitch, hit a right corner, a left corner, and then you have got a pretty substantial kind of rock garden, uh, just a bed of rocks. You do another right left, and then you got a huge, dead, almost a dead straight run of rocks with a slight uphill right hand kink, and that's basically the key to the race, just carrying speed through there. And as you exit onto the fire road at the bottom of that, that's uh, where. Tane lost a heap of time 2019. It's where Amory lost a race and the overall in 2019, stalling coming out there. So carrying your speed through the rocks out into the fire road, big sprint, back into the woods, carry your speed through the woods and some some big jumps, and then out to the finish line. So obviously I've not seen it yet, so there could be some decent variations and changes further down, but I can't see them removing those rocks because that's kind of what snowshoe is all about, you know. So that, that's where the real ch- challenge is in terms of bike setup and in terms of 
you know, technical riding. So yeah. that's kind of what we're looking at, really. You're flat at the top, steep for a portion in the middle, and then pretty flat, gnarly rocks to the finish, and then a bit of a sprint and a few more booters, and there you are. Yeah, Nico had mentioned that they built some uh, some fairly big jumps for a free ride edit, I think, somewhere on the mountain that they were hoping to try and include maybe portions of into the track. I don't know if that's made it or not, whether you know yet. But Yeah, myself and kid actually watched that edit yesterday he showed me he was like oh yeah jackson riddle did some jumps here so they're going to be on the track so we actually watched it and there's, there's, there is a jump between some trees and a couple of others further down and um from one of the roads that travels between some of the 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 chalets you can actually see it and i saw it yesterday riding riding to see some of the other riders i coach in another chalet and um there's definitely high speed step down we had we had in 2019 uh, straight into some super high speed berms which could be 60 or 70 kilometers an hour if it's taped straight and then you jump through some trees pretty big and then further down from that apparently there's a couple more jumps so yeah i think it's go- it's going to be everyone's going to enjoy it no matter what i think as long as it stays dry here i think you can just you can do everything fast everything's going to flow well there's some big jumps there's some technical stuff um and then you know the bottom of the track is is like a real race track in terms of you, you wouldn't you don't practice it fast because you need to sprint and you need to scrub and squash loads of jumps. So I think once it comes to racing, it's it's just going to be an enjoyable race race run to execute. Nice. That big long rock section is that? Am I right in saying that that stays like a little bit greasy? It's one of those sort of dark bits of woods that even when it's dry, it's still not grippy. Is not necessarily the word to use. Yeah, I don't know if they call it soap rock around here. I think they do. They definitely there's definitely a name for it. So the, the moisture can come up from depending on the the temperatures and, and the changes in humidity. Um, the the track works its way down into basically a, a hole, basically the end of the valley. So it's got little microclimates as as you descend. At the top can be super dry, and at the bottom can hold the moisture. It's underneath the canopy of the trees the whole way down, from about I don't know halfway down. So I think this year it looks the weather's super stable. It was real windy last night, for example, but it's it's dry and crisp and warm in the sun, cool otherwise. So I think weather wise, it's going to be probably the best case scenario in terms of the rocks staying grippy uh, whereas 2019 was still a bit humid and the rocks kind of travel through phases of slip and slip and grip you know so i think this time out it looks like we're going to get lucky but um be practice at 8 45 tomorrow we'll decide that i'll let you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and is it is it one of those sort of sections that it, it's about kind of re- remaining smooth and light over square edges like what's the what's the art to this particular chunk of rocks yeah, I think the art is letting your bike work. So it the, the rear wheel, both wheels, but most certainly the rear wheel travel over the square edge as well. So I think you can you can make a, a good bike work poorly by using your body incorrectly, pushing and pulling at the wrong time, getting stiff, you know, using the knees when you should be using, letting the ankles do the work type thing. So I think it's a, it's a mix and match of a very well set up bike and good riding. And even little things like knowing exactly where you need to be and why. So putting, if you need to set up ever so slightly, you know, higher between two very small rocks getting up there so you can then carry a dead straight run for the next 20 meters or 40 meters is is really important and i watched some of my clips back from 2019 that i'd stored and you could definitely see that guys like amory and stuff were just danny hart as well were carrying huge pace through some of the rock gardens just by being patient for a little split second getting set up and then just letting the bike run for ages so i think it's yeah it's it's technique it's bike setup it's definitely a head game because it's scary, just visually scary, and it's so easy to get deflected, especially with the front wheel. So you get a little deflection, and that stiffens you up, and then that ruins, you know, ten meters or five meters of track. So, just letting, being calm, being smooth, letting the bike run, 
letting so the not, bike do its job. Yeah, so not just about keeping the taps open. It's about precision, keeping the taps open at the right points, but being precise when you need to be to make sure you can get away with keeping the tap open. Yeah, from what I remember, there's a couple of like small drops and then a big drop onto the road, which like onto a fire road, which splits to the the long section and the final section of the rock gardens. And you can't just let the bike plonk off any of them. They're like the bike needs to be placed or pushed into some of those little holes and backsides. And it's pretty dark in there, like you said, because because the, the canopy is quite dense. It's deciduous forest, so it's, it's you know big leaves, um, and things. Autumn hasn't fully hit here yet, so everything's still pretty green. So I, I think yeah, it's it's. Oh, it's really good bike riding that makes the difference. And I think the time differences last year in that sector, you know, sector, sector four kind of thing, the time differences are, could, could have been quite substantial, you know, between a good rider and a, and a lesser rider. So there's definitely, yeah, there's some time to be made. Yeah. And benefiting, yeah, like a rearwards axle path, maybe like these square edges of the back wheel getting out of the way. Yeah. Well, I think half the field is a rearward axle path at the moment. So I'm not sure if it's a benefit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair point yeah it's crazy yeah. it's 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 crazy it's crazy to see how many people are and i've hearing rumors of more teams deploying some sort of high pivot bikes for for next year as well so i think it's it's currently in fashion interesting yeah all heading that way um physical demands that i mean high speed a few pretty hefty sprints from what i remember what? yeah a lot of pumping to do um full gas from the second you leave the start gate there's no building into it there's no there's no waiting to get into it if you know charlie harrison for example got third place here uh in 2019 and he would have won the race comfortably if his first sector was good he was 1.3 down and danny in the first sector i think he was 0.8 or 0.9 down at the finish line so if he'd if he'd done a better job in the first sector you know he, he would have comfortably won the race i think so there's no there's no letting up uh, from the get-go to the finish line uh, the sprint yes physical yes because it's got a sprint in it so we can all see that and if you're poorly conditioned you'll definitely lose some time but like we saw at Amory's race in 2019 carrying your exit speed from the rocks onto the sprint is the key you know everyone's pretty well conditioned some of the guys who have a real good sprint or some of the girls especially who have a real good sprint compared to their competitors can put in a couple of tenths maybe even six to eight maybe you know half a second but yeah, may or may not win you the race, but it's physical in terms of it's going to be, you're going to need to push start to finish in term, for your race run, but it's not a Valdasoli or an Andorra physical where doing six runs is actually just hard. It's not that sort of physical, you know. It's mm-hmm. intense, but it's not it's not super physically demanding, if that makes sense. Got you. Yeah, yeah. And what about bike setup? So like you said, relatively flat, but it has got that steep pitch in the middle. I think, yeah, just everyone's going to be on a variation of their base setting. You know, or, or maybe something just leave leave the lenser height a setting because lenser height is actually pretty flat, has some terrible berms, and then has that steep pitch that you saw on TV, and one or two other steep sections. But the reality is, lenser height is pretty flat. I think I, I can't remember the average gradient, but it's 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 yeah, it's definitely not one of the steepest. So the bikes will probably stay very close to the Baldus, the lenser height settings to start with, and then from there just make little changes and adaptations. You know, I think potentially some getting rebound dialed in. Um, maybe some low speed compression to deal with support and some of the berms and off jumps and stuff. But other than that, I think riders may be looking towards wheels, tires, inserts, tire pressures, wheel construction as one of the one of the key factors here. If they have that level of support where they can where they have different wheels at different spoke tension, they have different 
tire inserts of thick, thicknesses or widths or you know nose insert versus triad insert uh, different tire constructions pressures that sort of thing that could be a place to go for sure that's definitely if i was racing here it's definitely something i'd think about and is that uh, that kind of wheel construction or wheel setup thing mostly focused around performance through those those rock gardens or are there other areas yeah. where you think you benefit no i think by and large i think you you want you want the wheels to track and perform in those rock gardens so you're looking at a setup that's damp enough to dampen the, enough feedback so it doesn't feel skittish and you don't get deflected but still stiff enough and direct enough that it's just going to go where you point it so finding that balance between there is definitely i think the key yeah and with a bit of get out of jail free if you do clang a square edge or anything unplanned yeah i think it'd be interesting you know like I'm, I'm about 70 kilos so someone as light as me you know could definitely get away with a pretty soft wheel if it if it tracked well but you know, some of the heavier riders probably couldn't couldn't be that be that risky that extreme with the soft wheel you know and some riders may just you know i, I know there's been lots of guys this year testing different constructions and different setups front and rear so you know a more slightly more compliant rear wheel setup to deal with some of the, the square edges and the impacts and, and the general just letting the rear end track over over the big the big square edges and the holes and then something potentially a bit stiffer in the front so it actually carries its direction that you point it over those rocks and it just doesn't deflect type thing or vice versa even depending on what you're feeling depending on whether you're on boxers or fox 40s because there's a big stiffness difference there mm-hmm. so yeah there's lots to think about huh? but yeah, we've got time we've got six days back to back so just <laughs> if you if you want to puzzle your fork construction and get the dremel out you you can do it this week happy days do you think that could potentially benefit lighter riders because they've got more scope like they can run a, a more compliant setup with with less risk or not no i well i think you're the you're the scientist here not me but um <laughs> the, the, there's some there's some sort of equation for momentum mass and mass yeah, velocity yeah. momentum and everything else and i think yeah i it's a really really interesting one i think if, if you're slightly heavier if the men say in that 80 well 78 to 85 kilo bracket i think that's probably the money for here just carrying you know but then Danny Hart totally proved us wrong in, in 2019. He's he's probably the, one of the lightest males. Him and Troy, they're neither of them are 70 kilos. I don't think. Um, so yeah, I think the cool this is the cool thing. We've we've probably said this before in other podcasts or in pre race shows. This is the the most interesting and, and in, awesome thing about downhill is that morphologies, bike sizes, geometries, bike setups, it, the playing field just gets leveled come race day because because the rider outweighs the bike by so much that as long as things are in a ballpark good setting i think sometimes just execution outweighs everything else and riders just just elevate the game and just go absolutely ham for race day interesting am i right i think in the pits are at the top of the hill here yeah pits are at the top of the hill kind of halfway between both batches of accommodations and about 150 meters from the start line so you, you do lots of micro commutes. It's real. It's a real funny feeling. This place. You kind of other other venues are similar, but you'll stay in the pits all day, and then you know do work or whatever else, and go up to the top of the track, come back down to the pits. Whereas here, you kind of you ride up to the start line, ride down the track, get the lift back up, ride back down to the pits, ride up to your accommodation, ride back down to the pits, ride back up to the start line, down to the finish line. It's like, yeah. So it just. Like in terms of details for the for the riders, thinking about how often you do you do those micro pedals could have an impact on your sprint come Saturday. You know, yeah, fair play. I'd not even thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. I was yeah, I was wondering if it has an impact on the riders because they used they have their processes 
and and normally the time from kind of leaving the pits then you've got this time to sit on the lift and i guess contemplate you can see the track to some extent in a lot of places because you go up over sections you can see other riders you can see track condition you can see what the weather's done then you you're at the top and you've got your warm-up and everything and and that's i guess you you miss that opportunity to see the track you miss that maybe bit of downtime in in the lift and your your process is going to be different so do you think do you think some riders would struggle with that or is it are they so well conditioned to just be able to get on with things i think the experience from 2019 will help here uh, we do have similar experiences in andorra where the the pits the pits are at at the top beside the start line um, so experience wise the riders who have those experiences from previous years in andorra and here you know it won't they probably won't bat an eyelid but a lot of riders here will leave the pits even though you could easily do your warm-up in the pits and then go to the start line a lot of them won't a lot of them will, will find somewhere near the start line to do their warm-up as you would at a an, at another world cup um, a lot of riders the lift comes in just right beside parallel to the start gate so a lot of riders who come up to do a run might slowly cruise past the lift to see if they have a friend or a teammate and ask for a little mini course report or just have a, a cheeky sniff at the you can kind of ride between the lift and the start line you can see the first maybe 50 meters of track so they might go in for a little little sniff and see it's it's quite individual yeah and there's there's lots of little tips and tricks that people will deploy all week long in that in, in in that sense you know if anyone has a has a scooter or a, a pickup they might they might drive the 200 meters in the pits to the start line just to save the legs there's there's lots of small little tips tricks and, and changes that people would use and then the lift goes over the track like a lot of our tracks um but from the bottom to the top like you said so if you're if you're up there doing multiple laps you might have your mechanic at the top waiting for you so you don't have to go back to the pits and you get to see the track as you go up the lift so you'll kind of same process as, as at any world cup in a slight different order so yeah it's just the little details like that they're funny and i think yeah if you're at home and you don't actually know the venues and the layouts you never think about them so Whereas here, I think now we will think about them, but by and large, the management of the differences is, is pretty easy. Yeah, fair enough. Let's talk a little bit about kind of how things are stacked up and and who might go well, that sort of stuff. Start off with the women's side of the things. Miriam now has a pretty substantial lead, like well over 100 points with uh, Cami sort of, yeah, fair chunk behind and Tani catching Cami up a little bit from that last round. Do you think Miriam's lead is kind of unassailable at this point? Uh, definitely not. No, we, we we did the stats, did the numbers myself and Tani after after Lenzerheide, and uh, there's especially with the final round being two hundred fifty points for finals. Literally anything is possible. Uh, we've seen it time and time again, like with Lars last year, lo- losing a commanding lead in the overall with a, a puncture and a crash, uh, or two punctures potentially in loser. Um, so anything is possible. And as you said, you know, Camille Ballanche, uh, Valentina Hull and Tane are, are super close together. So one good qualifying or poor qualifying for either or a, a top result in finals, especially a victory, will just, you know, jump or, or drop someone in any direction. And Miriam does have a commanding lead. Off the top of my head, it's 35 or 40 points ahead of Camille Ballanche, which isn't, you know, it's not, it's not unassailable. It's not ridiculous. You know, it's like anything's possible. That's 100, that. 115 ahead of Cami, I think. Is, is it that far? Right. Because it's yeah. 140 something or 160 something ahead of Tani. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's um, nothing, nothing's impossible. Um, but Miriam is in the commanding position. And how consistent she's been recently, she's definitely the favorite. And we, we talked about this, I think, behind the podium with her after Lenzerheide. 
and it's it is super impressive when you go out and you win um world champs qualities world champs finals lens are high to qualities lens are high to finals no problems well no problems you know execute no matter what dealt with the pressure dealt with the desire to be world champion again after not really getting to show off the rainbows in 2020 um dealt with the fact that she's on the form of her life and the bike is working super well you know said herself she felt kind of lonely and lost being the last woman down the hill on Enzerheide but regardless you know elevated and executed so yeah she's she's favorite for it um but there is basically the four most consistent fastest women of the season in the top four positions and we've got two races six days of riding back to back two qualities two finals a lot of points on offer you know still 500 points on offer for if you can get you know all four well all three race runs execute so yeah it's it's cool it's exciting yeah, and and Miriam had this uh, Fox Live Valve esque box on her frame connected to her rear shock throughout the the Lenzerheide week. And there's other women out there on the Fox program. Can that create, um, I don't know, like uh, a worry, or can it play on other riders' minds that someone has a piece of technology that others don't? Absolutely. Yeah, I think between between the Fox riders, the, the majority of the top women are on Fox. Um, you know, Valley is Valley's one of the only top women who isn't on Fox. Um, so there's there's potential for sure for um, a little bit of not jealousy, but a little bit of oh she has it, I don't have it. Is it is it a genuine advantage? Is it not? You know, is it working in her advantage or her disadvantage by having to push buttons and, and deal with that during a race run? Um, so there, there's potential for friction, but most of the ladies are, are pretty friendly. Um, you can only. You can only kind of deal with the technology and the equipment you have and worrying about what other people have, at least in, in the condensed environment of racing, probably isn't going to help. So you, you leave that sort of thing to team managers and marketing and sponsorship side of things, I think, you know. Yeah. And I guess you're also riding a piece of prototype technology, which could potentially go wrong, whereas others are on sort of fully race proven stuff. So there's ups and downsides for having fancy little boxes and buttons on your bike, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. You know, somewhat luckily, say, say for example, if we make like, if we make the assumption that that the the live valve technology that that Miriam and, and Greg Menard had it as well, but didn't use it in uh, in Lenzerheide, so basically the two world champions had it. Um, if we make the assumption that it's some sort of a, a lockout device based off you know compression settings, so just increasing compression damping, and you you're going to want to use it for the sprint and the final sector of jumps here in snowshoe to try and give you an advantage, you know. How do you know, or how can you be one hundred percent certain that you've you've chosen the right setting in the start gate and it's in normal compression mode for the top of the track, and you're not going to click it into you know normal compression mode at the bottom, having been in in higher higher compression mode at the top, and just simple things like that. You know, it's extra buttons to press, it's extra cognitive load to think about. You know, is it a genuine performance advantage? Does it have some sort of autonomy where it senses pitch and yaw and roll, and actually does something for you? Is that again? within the rules is it against the rules there's going to be lots of debate about it and i think the bottom line is it's 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 cool it's fantastic that it's here um it's it's the next step and it's the next step in technology and performance for downhill it's some some sort of semi-automated semi-active suspension systems and it's 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 great to see it you know credit to fox for deploying it obviously it, it can create some friction in terms of marketing and in terms of psychology between racers and teams uh, but by and large i just think it's, it's a good thing it's a good thing to see it yeah, it's good to see new things being tried and technology being progressed. It's cool. But yeah, like you said, we've all definitely left our lockout on at some point in our lives and uh, only realise when we get to the bottom of the track. So yeah, you've got to, you might have it, but you've yeah, got to I've use it. 
done it twice at an EWS and been about a minute in and be like, why, why does this feel, oh, that's why it feels terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. We've all been there for sure. Yeah. Let's, let's chat a little bit about the men. So the Tebow's lead over Loris is, um, is more substantial, but again, a, a bad race by Tebow and a really good race by Loris or, or even Loic maybe could still change things around. Right. I don't think that one's done necessarily. No, Loris obviously having, the previous two World Cups, Maribor and Lenzerheide had cracked the full 250, which I, I don't know if people have realized that. He's gone, you know, 500 points out of two races, which is the maximum you can do. One, 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 one. Uh, that, that's the way the point scale is done. You get rewarded, rightly so, for winning qualities and winning finals. And as a result, Loris has actually chipped away pretty heftily, pretty substantially at Tebow's yeah. very commanding advantage. So all it takes is, is a slip up from here, from Tebow in race one, that then means that he has to go all out for the victory for example or all out for a podium or a top two in the second race and all of a sudden Loris is he's not in a commanding position in terms of points but he's in a commanding position in terms of psychology because he has nothing left to lose Tebow has everything to lose so yeah anything especially with the last race being all points for Saturday finals anything's possible so it's cool obviously Loic's a little bit further back so it, it takes a big slip up from Loris or, or, or Tebow de Prella. yeah it's going to be exciting racing. Talking about a few of the riders, maybe Aaron Gwynn, I saw was back riding a bike. Do we know if he's racing or not? Have you heard anything there? I've not heard anything. No, I've not seen. Um, I know Nico only gets here today, I think for, for track walk. So I've not seen any, any of the intense guys around. So I've actually got no idea. Okay. Yeah. I saw he was, I think he was at Windrock with Nico this week, but whether that was, uh, something that went well or whether he was just having a go, I don't know. Um, but be good to see him back on home soil as a popular rider amongst the fans, no doubt. Um, yeah, yeah for Ameri- sure. I think once the stars and stripes are out, the locals will love it. Yeah, the Americans do seem to go well here and kind of almost elevate. And like, yeah, standout was Charlie Harrison in 2019 with that third place, like you said, could have been even higher potentially. How do you think Charlie's set? He's He seems to have been on a pretty impressive uh, return to the sport after those injuries. Yeah, he, he was really disappointed with his with his race run at Lenzerheide. Um, but it, it, it did rain for for those riders, you know, who, who qualified kind of poorly, say between like 50 to fifty to 30 or 50 to 25. Uh, it rained and certain portions of the Lenzerheide track were, were mega slippy. That hard pack stuff out in the open was super slippy. I rode down the bike park with, I think, eight riders to go uh, parallel to the racetrack on that Saturday in Lenzerheide and it was still quite slippy in spots. Okay. So I think Charlie was on unnecessarily disappointed in his lenser height of performance but before he got his puncture uh, in finals at world champs he was on course for eighth place is what we worked out give or take somewhere between seventh and ninth is what we worked out nice so the if, if he executes well the pace is definitely there he loves his track he he he's he's red white and blue to the core so he loves being back in the united states so i think it just eggs him on you know he feels more comfortable feels at home uh, knows the venue knows the track um, he's just gonna love it yeah so he's his his return from from the broken arm could definitely be capped off in style here that's for sure definitely yeah and dakota is another rider that will he knows the track he's been going well all season and it just hasn't gone his way i think necessarily like he's had a few issues um so another potential threat for top spots i think yeah dakota if the way he's riding at the moment um if everything falls into place and i don't know if you can say get gets lucky but if he executes everything without making the small errors that he sometimes is prone to he could win the race i'd say but definitely top top three podium for sure top three potential and even a win 
Yeah. And then 2019 winner Danny Hart, he's uh, been having a pretty good season, but probably not had quite the, the top results that he's looking for. Another rider that could be dangerous. Yeah, like obviously Leger was a write-off for those top guys, but Danny's gone, I think, sixth place, eighth place, sixth place type thing in the races so far. So, um, yeah, he's, I think, the, I, I said it in 2019. I remember saying it to, to someone as we watched a live feed and Danny was on his way down. I was just like, I don't think Danny's going to win this. I was just, you know, Danny hasn't executed a winning finals run in, in how, since 2016 at that time. And then he proved me completely, totally wrong. So he's more than capable of proving me wrong again, you know. Yeah, it'd be good to see for him towards the end. And another rider that's going to want some payback uh, is Troy, I think. He's had a, a, a rough season up and down. Last round didn't definitely didn't go his way. No, the pace is there. And after going 1-1 qualities and finals at the first race to then, you know, finish 40th or whatever with the Reina Leger and then in the, where was he in? 12th, I think, in, in Maribor, and then, you know, crashed and back at the back half of the field in, in Lenzerheide. So, yeah, it's it's been a real tough one for Troy, especially when you have the pace and not all the, the mishaps have been his fault. So, yeah, it's, I think, floating, like we spoke about at the start of the show, floating over those rocks, dealing using your your morphology to your advantage, whether you're big or small, heavier or light, um, floating over those rocks, carrying speed, finding the backsides to push into keeping or creating momentum. Troy is the king. He is the king. And he's one of the guys that you can see him and the bike are gelled no matter what, no matter the terrain, no matter the steepness, the conditions, the difficulty. He just lets the bike work. He never hinders the bike. So he makes a bike look good, even if it's not good. So he's he's amazing. Huh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then in the women's field, 2019 winner was Marine Cabaret. She's been uh, been coming back towards where we'd expected to be after some some fairly nasty injuries that she's struggled with throughout the season. Again, a potential threat threat to the win and and to take some points away from from Miriam and the other girls. Yeah, like uh, yet another top French rider that could challenge for the win. And, and <laughs> Amory is someone we should have mentioned in the men's. I think I think Amory yeah. is potentially my favourite for the win here because um, he's got literally nothing to lose and he has all of the pace, it looks like, after Lenzerheide. True. Uh, yeah. But yeah, ladies race, Mi- Miriam's, Miriam's a lady to beat on, on raw pace, confidence, all of those things. Uh, but now she does have an overall to win. Um, Camille Ballanche could do fantastic things with the way the rocks are here. She, she tends to do a lot really well when it's it's a little bit steeper, quite rough, and she just lets the bike work. And uh, that rear, ac- rear wheel axle path, like you said, is definitely, she just lets it happen, you know. Um, Valley's quite... I can't. What's, I, think, I, don't even know, I don't even know what the word is, but she she does a fantastic job of placing her wheels, almost trial style valley. So in these rock gardens, she could definitely do really well. Um, and then we have we have Tane, who's resurgent and definitely hungry. So it's it's going to be some super exciting racing of the ladies. And Marine, obviously, I think she said herself she did too much at World Champs and it really impacted Lenzerheide. Um, so there's five ladies. Monica Harasnik is creeping up. In, in the direction of being a, a, a bigger threat for the top three spots. Uh, Millie Yonset as well, if she has a good day, is, is podium potential now. So we've got six girls there battling for those top five spots and probably three of them who are, you know, a little bit ahead of everyone else. And we've got Nina Hoffman, who did a fantastic job actually in Lenzerheide. That's it, yeah, it's an so incredible... we've actually got seven, seven girls maybe. Yeah, coming back from that injury as well was, uh, was super impressive to get a result like that. She looks super strong on the bike. Yeah, it looks super strong. And actually, if you reviewed 2019 Lenzerheide and compared it to 2021, um, and you compared Camille Ballanche and Nina Hoffman's performances from 2019 to 2021, the progression both of those riders have made has been 
phenomenal, like absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. But then Marine did put, I think, seven seconds into Miriam for for the win at Snowshoe last year, which is... Yeah, Marine was the big. only lady. She was the only lady to jump the triple in the final forest yeah. just before you left to run into the finish line. That gained her probably two to two and a half seconds, if not more. For real? Just um, just through getting that, yeah. that, that triple yeah, gap? The, 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 all the other girls did single double or some sort of disgusting on off head tube snapper and it was like it, it, you were you were coming in at probably 45 kilometers an hour if you did the triple you were exiting the woods at over 50 and you're carrying all of that speed to the finish line so like we saw at Millionset in in Leger if, if you exit something with 10 kilometers an hour more and you, you took for a substantial period and then you start your sprint I mean you're you're, you're looking at yeah seconds literally literally seconds you know million said pull back four seconds on everyone in the final sector in Leger. marion did pretty much the same thing here in, in 2021 or in, in 2019 and i can guarantee you from that experience it won't be happening for miriam for for tanya for valley it won't be happening this year that's for sure <laughs> interesting good stuff where well, it's going to be yeah super exciting racing i think to round out the season i hope the weather stays good and fair for everyone hope everybody has a has a good good week and yeah just a big thank you to you for taking time out throughout the season to do these pre-race chats i've been getting some good feedback people seem to be enjoying them so yeah thanks yeah for, cool i, I enjoyed it as well time. and i think i've been using it as part of my own kind of prep process to kind of get things lined up for the week ahead so maybe next year we can we can uh keep it going and maybe involve the involve the listeners a bit more if they have some key questions or whatever you know definitely yeah that'd be awesome wicked all right mate we'll have a good week and uh we'll see you on the other side all right, see you if they, if they let me back home. <laughs> Cheers, Chris. All right, that's it for this episode with Chris. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A massive thanks to Muckoff for supporting this episode of the show. They've just launched their first plastic-free bike cleaner, Punk Powder. And as a downtime listener, you can get 20% off that and the rest of their range by using the code DOWNTIME20 over on muckoff.com during September. Head there now and check out what they have to offer. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, then you can get your hands on our range of merch by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop with all proceeds going to help improve the podcast. If you're still listening and you've got some time, there's a few ways you can help out. The first one and the most important is to just tell your rider mates about the podcast because the more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going. You can share the episodes on your social media. It's a great way to spread the word, get some buzz going, and I really like seeing it. It's super nice to know that you're enjoying what I'm putting out there. Then if you've got time left, a review on Apple Podcasts goes a long way too. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up really soon, but until then, get out and ride. <laughs>